Hi and welcome. I'm Daniel Rickman, your mayor and guide to everything that's happening around town. Deep dive with us into the heart of the best kept secret in the Southeast, Columbia, South Carolina. From the buzzing culinary scene to the business trailblazers pushing our city's boundaries, we're here to give you an insider's glimpse into the vibrant tapestry of people, places, and opportunities that make Columbia unparalleled. Thanks for tuning in, and without further ado, let's jump right into the show. Good afternoon and welcome to Around Town. So excited to have you here as you just finished listening to a little of where I'm from, Patrick Davis. Um, we have a special guest today, Jill. So as we are getting into the conversation, I think it'd be very good to let people kind of have a conversation, really get to know who you are. You know, you've made a, a, a beautiful investment. You took an eyesore on the corner of Bull Street and Laurel and really put it into the counseling. But what was really impressive for me is that you really see the need of 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 counseling services and, and what a great need. But you didn't just walk into this career. So can you just tell the listeners a little bit, how did you get here? How did you choose this path? And I know that the, the time that you spent, and maybe you can elaborate, hey, this is this was the influence. This is how I got here. This is what I envisioned. And I had no idea that I was going to get to the position that I was to have such a, a, a thriving practice. And by the way, my wife highly recommends her um, and and sings your praises all the time at my house. I just want to pass that on. That feels so good to hear. I, I really appreciate you adding that because I think the world of your wife and of her practice and her clients do too, her, her patients do too. Well, I think for me, like a lot of people, I had to grow up a little and live a little before I figured out that I wanted to be a therapist. I had had two children and I went through a divorce. And looking back, I realized that I was, I needed a therapist. And I didn't, back then, back in, in the day, this was the 80s, we didn't talk about therapy very much, but I needed to f understand who I was and why I was doing the things that I was doing. I needed to understand how deeply in love with my children I was and how to not completely lose myself in that. And so I would say they were my inspiration, but I, I began to look into options and I went back to get my master's at USC School of Social Work and started to work in the field. And, you know, in our, in our profession, it takes a long time to be blessed, to be out on your own. You have to do a lot of supervision. You have to see a lot of clients under supervision. So I began that process. And I think that I found that I could not find a place to work that felt the way I wanted it to feel. I wanted a very professional very pulled together, uh, customer service first, quality place to be associated with. So I decided I needed to open my own my own practice. So I did. So you talked a little bit about your journey and how you got here and the influences and why you did it and how important it is. Tell us a little bit about the the time frame because it, you're right. It, it there there's a lot of steps. It doesn't happen. You just don't get a certificate and you're out on your own. Talk a little bit about what it takes to to be a, a counselor, a licensed counselor, therapist, 
uh, today and why it's so important? Well, you have to have a college degree and you have to have a master's degree. And then you are, depending on the route that you take, and we probably don't do ourselves any service because there's two or three different types of masters that you can get. And they each require you to do a little bit of a different pathway to become fully licensed. But the long and short of it is there's a, it's a two-year apprenticeship where you have to be good enough as an apprentice to find a job where you will be allowed to see patients or see clients, we call them both, and then work under a supervisor who is talking to you about your cases and, and um, helping you continue to learn. It's a lot of on-the-job on the job learning, if you will. Uh, wow. Yeah. So you've gone through, you've done your apprenticeship, you started to open your own firm. Well, your your first firm or, or counseling service was not in downtown Columbia, correct? Correct. We live in Lexington. So I opened a small um, spot that was just me. And it I was a, because of the flexibility of this particular career, which is another wonderful thing about it. I was able to set my hours working for myself and I could take care of my children in the afternoon after they got out of school. But I soon found that I was pretty successful and I had a lot of doctors referring to me. Your wife was one of them. And I had a lot of schools referring to me. And I thought, um, let me, let me begin to hire people to work with me and I wanted to continue to learn to be the best possible therapist I could be. The more I, the more I did the work, the more I realized how elusive being a good therapist was. It's such a nuanced craft. So I, I invested a lot in working, finding my own mentors and working with them. And then when I started to hire people, I invested a lot in trying to understand what it meant to be a good manager and a good employer. And um, tried to hold both sides of those of that coin, and it's it's worked. It's been a success. Right now, I have a team of fourteen therapists, and I told them just the other day in in one of our morning meetings that I would hire any one of them again in a minute. And the thing that I love about this team is they all embody something that's so important to me. And that is a willingness to say, I don't know, a willingness to say I'm stuck. And um, even, even if they're fully licensed, even if they're not an apprentice and they aren't required to be in supervision, we require it at our, at our office and we so provide it. you take it, it to the next level. You take it to the next level. And my team is, is really invested in that. You know, they, we all stop each other in the hallway and I've got team members here supporting me right now. And, I, I feel their energy and their love, but we stop each other in the hallways and say, um, you know, this is what just happened. What do you think? Can we meet later and talk about it longer? Um, we have formal meetings. We have formal supervision. And um, there's nobody that I feel is sort of hiding from that. So how is it the transition? You have 14 therapists that work with you, counselors, but you have... Now you're playing a kind of a dual role now. Not only are are you there, you know, so working with your client base, but you're working with 
your associates and you're having a managerial role. How is that? How was that for you transitioning from a single practitioner into, oh my God, I got 14 people working for me and we're busy. Yeah. How how was that? You know, I'll say it's happened slowly. We've been, we've been around for 20 years now. So that's quite some time. We've grown slowly, but it's exhausting. I work a lot. I think you have to love what you do to, to pull off any small business or medium sized business, large business, whatever. You have to love what you do. And, and really, I say often that I go to it like a well, I go to it to be re-energized, even though it is a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Many people advised me when we got to a certain size to not see clients anymore and just be the boss, just run things. But that doesn't feel right to me because you so quickly get away from the craft of doing therapy. And one of the things like when I do share or teach or, or try to help, I lean on my own examples of what just happened to me in session an hour ago. So I, I, keep, I keep my client load and that makes me better. It makes you stronger, I imagine. Yeah. Because you're right there every day doing the same thing. And so when you're peer to peer conversations, they're truly peer to peer. It's not, uh, she's the boss and you know she hadn't seen any patients in days. I mean, how does she know what I'm going through or, or the challenges that we're seeing? You're right there with them. And exactly. so that makes y'all stronger as, as a whole unit, which is fabulous. And I, sometimes I you see that happen and um, people get away from their core and then they've, they've forgotten what they learned and how they got there. You forget. And, and it's just part of it. You know, you're learning new skills and you forget that the basic, the basic um, job that you're asking people to do. And it's, it's, you know, it's kind of nice being in the trenches and then coming to my employees and saying, I'm stuck. Or I just had this hard situation. We had a meeting the other week and I, one of the things that was so lively about it was I was giving them an example of something that went awry in one of my sessions. And we sort of had a popcorn thing of what would you do? or What should I do mm. when I, when I see this client again? And, and so I try to do what I ask of them in staying humble and staying open to, I, I'll never know it all. Today, you know, we've come out of the pandemic People are talking more about mental health than we've ever talked about before, as long as I've been alive. You know, I mean, I, I, I know that when I had some challenges with my mother. She was going through things. You know, her generation didn't talk about anything. You didn't even mention going to a therapist. That was taboo. I feel like today people are, are more open about wanting to get the help. But we're at that next challenge, too, is that there are not enough therapists to get people all the help that's out there. What do you think we need to be doing in the future as a community to address this issue? Um, We all know that mental health has not been funded at the state level since the 80s. Much like other things, now we're in crisis mode and we don't have the ability to address it all. Folks like yourself are building practices, but I know there's a challenge to hiring therapists as well. So, I mean, in your thoughts, I mean, you we know where we are. What do you what do you what do you think we should be doing, or what can we do, or how can we help? Well, the what you just outlined is so true. 
I will say that I feel hope in that we do, it does seem like more and more people are interested in this field and are actually pursuing the degrees that we have in the community. So that, that does feel hopeful. Um, and I, you know, yeah. And I think a lot about our local mental health options at the County level. You're absolutely right. More funding is always needed and salary improvements and infrastructure improvements are absolutely needed. But I do have a lot of um, respect and admiration for Lexington County mental health and also Columbia area mental health is what the Richland County version is called. Mm -hmm. I have many contacts at both and lean on them when I need some, some specific sort of in the trenches information. And so I think there's a lot of good happening at the County level where people need pro bono services more readily and might have more of a complex case management kind of, kind of, um, you know, full spectrum of needs. But yeah, there's, there's a dearth of mental health and, you know, uh, options. Another good thing though, that, that just came to mind is that we are putting more and more counselors in schools because we now, you know, what part of the, part of the revolution that we're living through is that we're recognizing that we all need to take care of our mental health, that it's not just physical health that we need to pay attention to, that our mental health is a part of that whole entire personal well-being. And as a part of that, we are including children as we absolutely should be. And so there are more and more school districts are embedding not just school counselors, but mental health professionals in the schools. And some of that funding comes from the state level, from DSS, from again, from the Department of Mental Health and other, other avenues, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But that's good news. That's great news. Yeah. And, you know, we, we see it because I've I had, there's a physician's recruiting service who reach out to me about once a month and ask me to send letters to potential physicians to move to Columbia. And part of it is, is they're struggling to attract people in today's uh, market. And so we, obviously I, I think I see the same thing in, in the mental health field. So hearing that we're investing more, um, you know, I, I think you're right. The schools are, are need all the help they can get. You know, our, we have a program at the city called handle with care. So our police officers are in touch with school officials when they are brought into a family situation where there's been a tragedy or something to prepare people. You know, we've hired, uh, at the city, we have five, five pathways. So crisis therapists to help us with everything from homeless to other situations that our officers are drawn in. But as we were talking about how do we improve the quality of life for our officers who are so taxed, one of the things that they ask for is to have on-call mental health services, not appointment-based. They're like, I need it when I need it. And so I just see, I feel like I'm surrounded by all these needs, but yet then I hear how long it takes somebody to get an appointment. So, you know, hearing that there are more people interested in the field, um, and obviously you're much closer to it than the rest of us is great. I I hope we can kind of send that positive message out that there's, there's help on the way, because I do think people need more time to, to have, have that conversation and get it out. And, you know, I, I, 
I can't put the correlation together, but I do believe that some of the violence that we see, if it's domestic or gun or, or, or physical, is stems from folks who are missing out on opportunity to, to work it out you know, have that conversation, learn how to deal with some of the troubling issues that are in the forefront instead of taking it out on, on their spouse or their kids or others. Um, for usually it's a, a minor issue, minor but it, issue. W- it was the one thing that pushed them right. over the edge. Right. That straw that broke the camel's back, as they say. Yeah. Well, I agree with everything that you're saying. Our office is appointment based and we do see how that presents problems for people. They, it's amazing to us. And we, we are really always struck by how people make it work and they get bought in and they, and they make it a priority to come. But we realize that is a barrier for a lot of folks. And so we have so many new and, you know, unchartered areas to figure out so that folks can get to the help they need when they need it real time. I'm just so delighted that we're that we're looking at mental health in a new way where, you know, it used to be sort of, it, it was completely taboo, as you and I have both mentioned. It was taboo and we didn't even really have the language for it. So it was both things, you know, I... Um, if we did have the language for it, we certainly weren't going to go and, and find it, you know, but I often, I realize now I didn't even think about therapy or, or talking to someone during the early part of my life. And I didn't think about that for my loved ones either, which is so foreign to me, how much, how much I've changed, but, but we did used to think about mental illness and it was, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, many of us have a story about a, a family member that has completed suicide or a family member that um, had a breakdown or was um, was um, um, schizophrenic and, and sort of all those things are very real and they're prevalent today, but it was sort of the family, the, the, the family secret slash horror story. And now we realize that it's a, there's a broad spectrum. I mean, one good analogy that I like to use is it's, you know, we all know now that exercise and movement is good for us. And then we will have other folks who have to go to cardiac rehab. They've been given a prescription. They need to go because it's good for their heart and their heart, you know, won't function, will, will diminish if they don't do cardiac rehab where they're monitored and they're um, checking in and checking out and the doctor's following up. That spectrum is a lot like mental health. A lot of people, yes, need something a little more intense. They truly have a diagnosis that they need medicine for. They need, they really need consistent therapy and they need a triage and a multidisciplinary approach where the therapist, and we do this, needs to be talking to their doctor, needs to be talking to their psychiatrist, helping them with referrals, helping them, um, you know, helping talk to the school, et cetera. But then many of us are just those you know, everyday walkers that recognize part of my health is to go and talk to somebody and to download what happened and how I reacted and um, try to understand myself better, try to make the the mess that, you know, the, um, I guess the soup that our mind can be into something more explicit and understandable. And so that's very exciting to me that we're not just thinking about terms of I'm, I'm in an emergency situation, but we now believe therapy is something healthy for everybody just to help us get through, to help us get through life. And like you said, not to have that last straw, 
have anger and um, isolation building up in us to where we wind up hurting ourselves or someone else. Let me ask you, I mean, there's been a lot of articles written and, you know, people talk about it and they want to fix it, but they don't really do anything about it. My question to you is, is, you know, with today's social media, all that information, do you think that's contributing to people's mental anguish that we see today and some of their depression and others because they believe that everything they're seeing is, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side, as they say. Are you seeing that as, as one of the contributors today? And, and how do you, how, what do you recommend to parents who may be listening, say, especially because kids spend so much more time on social media than I think adults, but I have seen where some adults spend five or six hours a day, which I, I don't even know how I'd fit that into my life, but spending that time, what, how do you, do you see the link? And then the second part to that is, is what do you tell people? How do you help people kind of get away from that and realize that that's not reality. Yes, we see the link. We absolutely see the link. And more and more people are saying the things just like you are. So that's the good news is that we are talking a lot about the problem of our screen addiction. And just, you know, they, there's a saying of like, if you can name it, you can tame it. There's something about naming it and, and calling it out. Even if we, can't put the genie back in the bottle, which I don't see how that we're going to be able to do that. But we're at least now um, recognizing what a huge change this has been in our society and all the negative repercussions. And we're naming it and claiming it. And Mm -hmm. we're not, we're not in denial about that, I think, as a society. And I would say to parents, it's, they're in a tough spot, but delay screens as, you know, personal phones with that can have access to the internet and have access to texting and um, all the apps as much as possible. There are phones that, you know, that are much more restrictive and um, different ways to restrict phones. But I, so I would say band together with other parents and your, in your child's cohort so that your child isn't, you know, coming home saying all my best friends can do all this. So to form, you know, form an alliance with one another and to be strong and delay it as long as possible, have a situation, have a phone where they can call you if they've missed their ride, but, but keep them from that as long as you can. That would be my advice. Yeah. It's such a hard one because it seems like to me, you know, young people are getting phones earlier and earlier and earlier. So they're subject to so much more. Um, and, and, you know, I think it's great, you know, you can post a picture and this and that, but a lot, a lot of it, I think really has, has probably created more issues than it, it's actually solved <laughs> in all of it today with counseling. And some people are still afraid to reach out to a therapist and counseling. What advice would you give people to help somebody, even if it's in their own home themselves, to take that step forward. I mean, what would be some things that you would share with them that says, Hey, it's, this is how you can do it and be comfortable about it. Cause I, I know they're still, I mean, people, anybody who grew up in the seventies is still a little skittish. Um, if you grew up in the sixties or fifties, you definitely are skittish, but you know, what would be your advice to somebody to help them take advantage of, of what I think is an incredible service. And today is part of our daily lives. I would say that we get it. 
I would say know that. We recognize because we are all in therapy too. And we know how hard it is, for example, to change therapists, to, to start back up after we've taken a break. We get it. So we're not you're you're walking into a group of people of like-minded people who recognize that this is really hard and to just begin to just trust the process to begin to give it one phone call one and we we pride ourselves on taking care of every single phone call every single web request with the utmost of respect and patience people have a lot of questions about who you know what counselor am I going to be placed with and um you know is, is this, is my appropriate to come? And we, we, we'd like to think that we really do hold their hand, but if you make that one phone call and then you come into one session, you can see how it feels. And our hope is that you'll feel really relieved. We have a lot of middle-aged men that come in and I'm again, so impressed that they do it. I, I was talking to somebody just this week who said, you know, in a completely nonplussed and direct way, I don't want to be here. You know, my wife asked me to come. This is not my jam. You know, I'm, I'm doing it for her. And I totally understood that. So there's no judgment. There's no shame. But I will say that by the end of the session, he said, I cannot believe how much I'm talking. You know, I can't, I didn't expect this of myself. So I'm hoping that most people feel that way, that they are nervous as we are too. And yet they're really glad that they came and, and it's easier than, than you might think. We don't ask anything of you. We just want to meet you where you are and hear what comes up. And if you need us to ask you questions like, oh, you know, tell me where you work and are you married and tell me about your children. We absolutely can do that and get the conversation started. Or if you just feel really full and want to just start downloading, you know, I'm so angry at my boss or my child or my my husband, then you can do that too. It's, there's really not a wrong way. So that might be another, another bit of encouragement for folks that we, we just want to meet you where you are. I think hopefully people who will listen to this podcast will feel very open to come to you and your group uh, for, for a major reason is because of how you got into your position that you were them, you know, you understand it. And, um, I was having a conversation with somebody and they're like, I'm afraid to go because I'm afraid to be judged, you know? And I'm like, nobody's going to judge you. Most, most folks have all been through, look, everybody goes through something. I try to remind people all the time. And after you remind yourself, you know, the grass is not always greener. You don't know the story. You don't know that story. They may have, they may have all the money in the world, but they're not happy because all of these other reasons that you're not dealing with, you know, so it's interesting. So, you know, being able to attract people to the practice. And I think that today word of mouth is a big thing and reputation. And, uh, I think, you know, I think that's why you're successful. You've you. created that. You. Um, you know, We've have 14 hard. therapists in downtown and we're so thankful that you're right here downtown. Um, but it, it's, it, it's interesting that we're still talking about mental health and the need for more. And to me, this gets back into, we've got to be advocates for everybody um, today. And, and I think, you know, when you look at some of the craziness that goes on in Washington and you realize how disconnected they are to what's happening on the ground. And, you know, I was in a room full of mayors for the last two days in Atlanta in a meeting and 
we're talking about homelessness and partnerships and, you know, dealing with mental health and how, you know, they were talking about several cities. They don't have enough clinicians for, for schools that they're, they're actually talking about building housing to get people to attract, uh-huh. to come. And a lot of it stems from the violence and others. They're like, if there's not a time for us to be invested and support our, our mental health community, there never will be. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, uh, I yeah. think it's great. Well, I think it's great that leaders like you are, are talking about incorporating mental health into all the solutions that, that you're, that you're dreaming up because that is, a, that is, that is new and that is absolutely spot on. We're all in pain. We, we are. So to your point about being judged, I think we all kind of fear that, you know, a little bit. And, um, um, I will echo your words that it's not about judgment in therapy, but I think, you know, even what comes up for me when you say that is I would welcome someone saying to me sitting in front of me in, in our rooms, I'm afraid you're going to judge me. You know, it's a really, it's a safe space to even share what our blocks might be in the moment. And I um, think that's the hardest thing today. We, I hear it from people in the community. I hear it from employees and other folks. It's feeling that safe because everything is, you know, somebody can be taking your picture. Somebody's texting this. There's just, you never feel like you're totally off. So getting them to realize there is a space that you truly can have that conversation and walk away with some relief. And, um, you know, yeah. I, I, I think it's so important that we can continue the discussion uh, and keep investing, um, you know. So, like I said, anything that we can do to help further uh, getting, attracting more therapists here, you know, getting involved at the school of medicine, you know, Hey, what can we do to help you to enhance? Hopefully new facilities and stuff they're getting down the road will be, you know, an option uh, for people. They'll get attracted and, and want to get into it. But yeah, I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And I think that we have to start investing in the future, um, much like we're doing in infrastructure and everything else. This is, this is part of our world and our lives and we, we need to, to be there and plan for it on all levels. I mean, it is a community issue. It is not, you know, a government or just the medical right. professor. It is a community issue. That's right. Yeah. I met with a school district the other day and they are interested in having me come out and do a staff development for their administrative team to help their administrative team, help their teachers. And then having me come back and talk to the teachers about how they can help the students. So every. I, I do feel like in every aspect of our community, we're all trying to think about how to, how to educate ourselves to be better responders to each other, to, to provide those safe spaces, to provide those non-judgmental conversations, to not be afraid to say, I'm, de- I'm feeling depressed or, you know, I need, I need to talk to someone, not, not, not being afraid to, to ask each other in the workplace or, or, um, where, wherever, you know, are you okay? So it's, um, I, the time is definitely now. I will say that the city has been super supportive of us. I have felt your support and your interest and, um, in renovating our building, we, we had such a, um, a positive experience. And so we appreciate your attention and, and your appreciation of us. Oh, thank you. Um, 
What advice would you give to somebody if they feel like their friend or or somebody needs to see a therapist? Is there three things you could recommend to tr- that they could a way they could approach the subject? Uh, you know, you you hear that somebody's like, I don't know if I should get involved, but I mean, I think today you you almost don't have a choice. You got to get involved. So are there three things you could share with somebody that would be a good gateway or, or segue for them to get them into, to help? Well, uh, September was suicide awareness month and we were, I know you're not talking specifically about suicide, but yes, I think having the courage to say, do you need to talk? And then when your friend says yes, to listen, to listen without trying to solve or to not without trying to kind of like, um, poo poo how serious it is, you know, and to say, Oh no, but no, look, look on the bright side. And that's comes from a good place, but we know now what's really healing is for someone to be, feel like they've been heard. And then if your friend is willing to direct them to us or to another there's lots and lots of good therapy options and individuals and groups in Columbia. And so to say, you know, I've heard about this person. Here's a phone number. Um, I think you should make the call. I, th- I think that's great advice because those of us who are problem solvers, we try to solve everything. Sure. And sometimes we forget to listen. Uh, I re- it was interesting. I was traveling a couple of weeks ago and I was sitting by this uh, couple who had been married 72 years. What? Yep. They're moving to the South. They're, they're from upstate New York and they bought a house in Lexington. They're on the lake. I don't they think they should change it. a thing. They need yeah. to stay right where they are. And I'm kidding. I mean, I'm happy to have them, but 72 years, that's but amazing. Here's what was interesting. And it comes into what you just said. And, I, and it just clicked when you said that I asked them, cause I'm wedged between the two of them. I'm like, do y'all want to sit together? And they're like, no distance is good. You know, I'm <laughs> laughing and I said, how did, how did y'all make, uh, in today's world, that's, that's like a, the Guinness book of world records. And, um, he said, when we got married, we made a deal that we would look at each other when one of us was coming with an issue to, a, that we'd say two things, compassion or, or solving, solving it. So that if they just wanted me to be there as a compassionate partner, that's the route I went. But if they wanted me to solve it, I would solve it. So we weren't sending mixed messages trying to do what our, our natural body wants us to, our mind wants us to direct us to. And I was like, I need to, I need to steal that because that's actually, it's really good advice because you see it because those of us who solve problems all day want to solve it. And sometimes our spouse doesn't want us to answer. They don't want us to give, you know, solutions or say, oh, that's not so bad. They just want you to listen. They just want to be heard. And I thought that was incredible advice. And I wrote it down in my notes and I've kind of kept it there, but it clicked when you just yeah. said that. I was like, that is brilliant. And the fact that, that they are asking, so they're not guessing, you know, they're asking, what do you, what do you need from me right now? I'm going to steal that too. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. And he said that was the key to their marriage mm-hmm. in 72 years. And I see that working with our teens too. You know, so often our teens come to us and, um, or young adult children. And, and we, I think naturally want to solve their problem. They're getting underpaid at work or there's a, you know, someone mean at school and to say, um, wait, what do you need from me right now? Do you actually need me to to get involved and, and give you advice or do you need me to just listen with compassion? Yeah. 
So since you're downtown, we got to ask a couple downtown questions now, you know, so where do you run off to have lunch these days? Well, my favorite place to disappear to quickly is Tasty as Fit on Millwood. Have you been there? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can never, I, I'm, Emily laughs at me because I never can order the smoothie the right way. I call it like the fruit loops or what of this and that. And it's not, that's not the name, lucky charms name, but they know what I mean. I'm like, Oh, I want, you know, I want that. Um, I don't like everything there. I've, I I've been very clear yeah. about that. Yeah, but there's sure. some things that's I very, really like. Very human of you to admit that I am the exact same way, but my big thing is the smoothie. And I'm giggling as you say that, because I'll call them on my way in and I'll say, what's the, what's it called? The one that I like, because I cannot remember either, but, um, it's and not I swear the creamy, they're not dreamy. healthy. Yeah. Well, I know, right? That's what I, I told her. I said, there's so no good. way in hell this is that healthy. Well, I do plus peanut butter. So that probably, I mean, that definitely gives me protein, but it adds yeah. to the calories. So I mess up their, their health formula to do the plus peanut butter. But I do love that spot. So that's my lunch spot because I rarely have time to actually sit down. Sound Bites Eatery is not far from us and they have a great Caprese sandwich. And so I want to, I want to make a shout out to Sound Bites Eatery go. too. Yeah. So it's a new little place. You get off work, you go straight back to Lexington and kick up your feet and have dinner, or do we wander through the Vista or Five Points or Main Street and 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 visit some of those great places here? We wander, and what my favorite spot right now is Warmouth. We are our first stop, our first spot in downtown area was in Cottontown. And we had a small little office there. It was adorable, but it was, it, we outgrew it. But I loved frequenting the Cottontown restaurants and supporting them because I love seeing North Main come to life. And Warmouth is just, the vibe is great. And the food is amazing. I don't even know how to describe it, but it's almost like deconstructed. Soul, Southern soul food or something, but love it. They have cornbread there that is to die for. I don't know. Well, you if, haven't had mine, so okay. I can't say that. <laughs> not yet. I haven't. No, no not yeah. yet. Well, that's that's good. Well, I'm glad that to know they they do. Porter does a great job. I think that little corridor and and I think North Main is where you're going to see the next big growth spurt for us. There are not a lot of places in the southeast that you can go and build something or have a business and walk out on the street and point at the state house. Not today. Not in a capital city. You couldn't afford it. You couldn't couldn't be part of it. And, and here we've got this this I call it the miracle mile because it, it will when it it when that Elmwood to the the split at river and Maine grows, I think it's going to be an amazing extension of downtown. And I think people are, are just going to drive and we're going to connect these four historic neighborhoods that are disconnected by four lanes right now. And I think that's the success that you see there on Sumter in that corner from mm -hmm. end uh, over is they've mm -hmm. created a gathering place where people can walk and they're comfortable and it's connected. Um, so hopefully we'll continue to do that, but that's exciting. That is so exciting. I'm, I'm loving being a part of Columbia right now and seeing the changes that are happening literally every month, There's like the greenway that you just announced. I'm so into all of that. I'm so ready for us to be offering some of the same things that cities our size and, and we're there. It's happening. There's a lot happening. It's, uh, it's almost uh, insane. We were, I'm doing a town hall tonight and, you know, we had like, we had a narrow 
some of the talking points down to 150 points because there's so much going on. But we also have been really trying to market the city. We are getting away from people just thinking we're a college town. We're so much more than a college town. And I think people are starting to realize that. They're seeing the vibe here. You know, if it's arts, it's theater, it's it's the food business. I mean, we've been going to meet. We've been in Charleston, Atlanta, Greenville, Charlotte, meeting with developers and restaurateurs. People who just really jumped over Columbia and now are going I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I was there now. How do I get there? We've got a group coming from Alabama next month, this month, uh, and in two weeks, they they want to drop three restaurants here, you know, and and they're they're going. We just all we're hearing is what's happening in Columbia, and I think it's because we're starting to tell people our story. You know, we're we're proud of who we are, and our you know obviously my goal is to be the number one city in South Carolina. We're the only gold lead city, and we just got uh, that award this summer. I just presented in Washington last week um, at the Green Building and had this great panel discussion, and it was amazing. All these people were like Columbia, South Carolina, really? I, I want to come visit. I said. Come on. I saw that on Facebook and I sent, I, I did a screenshot and sent it to my husband who works for the cooperatives, electric cooperatives. And he said, his response back to me was, that's a big deal. So I'm really proud, really proud of that too. I was going to tell you, you know, when you were talking about all the change and all the growth, my daughter lives in, I have two daughters. One lives in Europe, but one lives in Chicago. And when they come home, they comment on how easy it is to take part in the arts here and at the restaurants and you can park, you can get, you can go to trust us and find a parking spot. You can go to the Coger Center and find a parking spot. You know, it's so, the city is so maneuverable and accessible. And I think that's something that we should be really proud of. I need of. to use them as my poster children because people are always like, well, I couldn't find a, how could you not find a parking spot? Walking out a block is not, that's <laughs> exactly. not, not a mile away. That's right. a block. Um, <laughs> it, it is funny, different perspective. Where's your daughter live in Europe? She lives in Stockholm. Oh, in Stockholm, Sweden. She works for Spotify and they are headquartered there. So they moved her there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Then of course there's a, a backstory as to how she found Spotify, but yeah, she's been there seven years and now um, her partner is Swedish and they have a baby. So I don't know if she'll ever move back to the States, but, but she comes back a lot to visit and we go over there a lot. So it's good. That's oh, a terrible place to visit. I know. Right. It's really awful. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for spending some time with us today. I hope people can will reach out and and I hope they appreciate the conversation and they get an opportunity to know who you are. And thank you for your investment. Thank you for being part of our downtown and being engaged. And I will tell you, Jill sends me emails. She has questions. She's she's engaged in our community. It's not just about her business. She really does care about the community. And if you spend any time with her, I think you'll understand that. And we are really appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Thank you. You are, you're wonderful and you make me feel seen and heard. And so I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, that's great. Well, that thanks for another episode. Stay tuned. <laughs>